Today on the podcast, we have a segment of Ask Rachel, where you ask your questions and I answer. Today on the show, I answer two really deep and beautiful questions. The first one around pregnancy and how to navigate the world of other people, maybe not agreeing with the decisions that you've made for yourself and your baby throughout this time of your life. The second question is centered around tea, as in tea in ceremony and the ritual of tea. And I share the very intimate and for me, extremely sacred story of how tea came my way and my best advice for how you can deepen your relationship with tea too. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Let's dive in. It's a Friday today, and that means it's time for a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. And I am so happy that you're here. I am sitting with my hand to my heart right now, another hand to my belly, <laughs> the way I just find myself sitting a lot lately, just a moment here all the time to connect with my heart, my emotions, and to connect with the little one who's currently, I don't know if he's doing somersaults in my belly or if he's just like trying to make more space, but he's been really, really active the past couple of days. And I, I feel him in this moment, just, just kicking around, which is so lovely. And I'm sitting here feeling very, very grateful right now. Looking out through the window, we had a little bit of snow last night. We've had this weird weather in Sweden where it goes from really cold and snowing and beautiful to wet and muddy and rainy, and then back to cold and snow and beautiful. It's like the weather doesn't know what it wants <laughs> right now. But right now we have some snow. I'm looking out at the pine and the spruce trees outside and the oak trees. We have a lot of oak trees on our property sun is shining today. As I said that, like it just started literally streaming sunlight into this room. 
sun must have been just a little bit behind a cloud and now it's just, yeah, it lit the whole space up. It's really gorgeous. And um, I'm here. <laughs> I mean, I'm here every week. I'm here every day, every moment of my life. But I'm, uh, I'm here. I feel a lot of gratitude in my in my body today, even though it hasn't been a particularly great day. <laughs> Isn't it funny that if we practice gratitude enough, we don't need to have good and smooth and easygoing days for gratitude to show up, right? Usually all it takes is like a little bit of sunlight or just a little moment of joy or something we find beautiful and then boom, gratitude is just there, the gratitude practices that we do on the daily practice, my daily podcast, every Thursday we have a, a gratitude practice and they really help me sitting down to think of a new kind of way to practice gratitude every week is really helpful for my creativity around gratitude, but also just doing the practices every week. They keep me really anchored in, in my thankfulness. So if you ever need a little more gratitude, head on over to the daily practice the daily podcast. You can find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. My daily show is also on there. And yeah, Thursdays are thankful Thursdays. But um, how are you? <laughs> how, how are you? Today we're going to have a little bit, I'm going to find out a little bit more of about how you are. Today we have an episode of Ask Rachel here on the show. And it's been a while I think it was pretty far, like, like, like before Christmas-ish. We didn't have one in January. So I'm excited to hear some of your questions and just hear your voices and have a little bit more on a, of a conversation on the pod today. As usual, I haven't heard any of these questions beforehand. I just play one of the latest ones and then we see where it takes us. So before I do that, how about we take just a minute right here, right now to, to ground a little bit. I can sense myself. I'm out of breath. I'm often out of breath <laughs> these days. It's, it's the pregnancy for sure. Like walking up the stairs, I'm really out of breath. And sometimes when I'm recording the podcast, talking makes me like lose my breath a little bit. So uh, let's take a moment for me and also for you. <laughs> <laughs> just to settle, to slow things down and to ground. So if it feels good, you can close your eyes here. Yes, as I said, I have a hand to my heart, a hand to my belly. Maybe your hands want to gravitate elsewhere, but you can take a little moment of extra connection by placing your hand somewhere on top of your own self. And then let's breathe in and out through the nose, but make that conscious effort to slow everything down. And when I say slow down, I mean slow way down. Life moves quickly. You know, our days tend to pass pretty fast. And we have so much coming our way in every, any given moment, so much information and thoughts and feelings and judgments and things that we need to process. It's a lot being a human being on this earth right now. So slow things way down for yourself just for like a minute right now. 
That means you consciously make your next inhale as slow and as long as it can possibly become. And then you do the same thing with the exhale. Slow that exhale way down. Take all the time you can to release that breath out of the nose. And then keep going. Just a couple of cycles of breath there where you have more space, more time. And kind of signaling to your body that there's no rush right now. Maybe there will be later, but not right now. Right now you have time. Right now you have space. No place else you need to be but right here. Connecting with your body, with your breath. Grounding for a moment. Hmm. And if you like, you can just gently blink your eyes back open. Hmm. I am smiling right now. <laughs> that was just a very short moment of our time right there. And I'm smiling because I have this very beautiful feeling of contentment in my body right now. Isn't it beautiful? I don't know how you're feeling right now, if you can sense a just a little subtle shift inside of your body or in your energy or in your heart, but just a moment to shift our awareness inward, a moment of slowing down can change everything. Do scents evoke memories and transport you back to being on the beach during your favorite vacation? I know they do for me. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil smells like summer or the beach in Aruba, bottled with all natural uplifting notes of mango, mandarin, grapefruit, lime, and cypress. But it's not just about the elevated scent. This body oil is clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and deeply moisturize, leaving skin silky and soft. It delivers that coveted post-vacation glow, like you just returned from a tropical getaway. And right now, you can get 10% off your first order with our code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. I love Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I use it every single day and I have for so many years. It makes me feel silky smooth and just glowing. This body oil is rich but never greasy and clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. It visibly firms your skin, leaving you more sculpted and toned. No wonder I feel so great after using it. But it gets even better. With Osea, you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Osea's products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. They are a women-founded company that has been making seaweed-infused skincare for over 28 years. So bring on summer. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skin and body care at Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's play our first question of the day. Hi, Rachel. My name is Michelle. I've been listening to the pod since day one. I'm calling from Colorado. I am just in awe of you and your whole pregnancy journey, just sending you all of my love and support. Um, 
I listened to the podcast last week about kind of the shade you were getting in Sweden and it just, you know, kind of jogged some thoughts for me. Um, I'm in the preconception phase, really like kind of leaning more towards the natural route and home birth, et cetera. I'm curious if you have any advice for dealing and managing people, um, more so in your life than strangers who have very, who you know will have very strong opinions on this. How do you approach it? Do you have any tips? Like, I'm 90, I'm 100% sure it will lead to a fight if, you know, I kind of disclose this information with some people in my life. So curious if you have any thoughts for moms-to-be who want to go down the same route and don't know how to deal with all the negativity. Thank you. Sending love. Oh, thank you for, thank you for the support and for, yeah, for being so present here with me on this, on this journey. And yeah, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. I know you. Absolutely. Um, I think for me, I've been fairly lucky so far. And probably because it's my second pregnancy doing it this way. Um, this pregnancy, I'm, 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 I'm even more on the... <laughs> on the odd end of the spectrum of wanting to do things in a little bit more of a, I don't want to use the word radical. It's like, it's not a radical thing to do to just want to be pregnant in peace <laughs> and birth on your own, but it's viewed as this radical, strange thing, right? So this time around, I haven't had anything but support or silence from close people in my life. And of course, I know the people who are choosing to be quiet and I so appreciate them for it because I know they have opinions and maybe they have fears and worries and judgments and you know ideas about yeah whether it's right or wrong or just ideas about what I'm choosing but they're not saying anything this time around which I so deeply appreciate it's really so true like if you don't have something supportive or kind or uplifting to say we don't have to say anything at all right? So it's not like those minds were completely changed this time around, but I think from first pregnancy, they've just learned that, yeah, this is how I'm doing things and I'm not going to change my mind because they have a different viewpoint. Or, I mean, I'm hoping maybe I <laughs> have changed their minds a little bit. So people who in my first pregnancy were very vocal about, well, this is a bad idea or why would you not want to be in a hospital? And yeah, I'm just not getting any of that this time around. So who knows, maybe some, some minds have been opened a little bit there. But I definitely have been getting that from the general public. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just as a public person, I'm getting a lot of input, sharing things on social media. I mean, I've put myself in that place where I know I'm, I'm receiving people's yeah, judgments and, and, and thoughts and things like that. But in my first pregnancy, there was a lot of concern, wanting a home birth. And I remember then um, just some very close family members of mine that have had extremely traumatic births, my mother being one of them. She had four, she gave birth four times. Each time was, they were all medical hospital births where she felt she had no control or control was taken from her. And they were just all very, very, very traumatic. 
And she was so concerned. And it's funny because even though her very scary hospital births happened in the hospital, she still had this idea that like a home birth isn't safe. And I remember inquiring about that. You know, she had these four births that were very traumatic and uh, none of them happened at home. None of them happened with this kind of mindset and education and different kind of thinking. You know, it was a different time and different different space also entirely for her. But at some point I had to set a really clear boundary there where I just very, and she was very, we were very, very close then. We're not spending as much time together now, but in the first pregnancy we were, yeah, very close, spending lots of time. And I remember having to sit her down and just very firmly, but very lovingly say that, that these, this was your experience it's not going to be mine. Like, I don't know what this birth is going to be. I have no idea what the outcome is is here, but I know for sure it's not going to be exactly the same as yours because every single birth is unique. The same way her four births were all wildly different, right? Difficult and traumatic in their own way, but they were all very different. So I'm not going to have your experience and I don't want you sharing your experience with me anymore. I need you to find another person, a trusting person, someone who can hear you and listen to you and validate you and see you in this fear, but it cannot be me. And I remember that being just very, very helpful. Like it was a very helpful shift in our, in our dynamic. I wasn't saying, hey, don't talk about your births with me. Don't talk about your fears with me. No, I mean, I wasn't saying, don't talk about your fears. Don't talk about your experience. I wasn't shutting her down. I was just kind of redirecting. Like you have to find another person to unburden these things on because speaking to a pregnant woman about your past difficult experiences, it's just never, never a good idea unless it's asked for, right? So in those settings, just that kind of firm, loving boundary actually really did work. But then the people who, who actually think that you're making a bad decision, you know, or people who, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's really helpful to remember that most likely, I mean, of course, I don't know because I don't know them, but most likely those big opinions or people yeah, thinking they have a say in, in your life and, and objecting to what you've chosen for yourself, it's coming out of fear right? It's just that. It's their fear. And somewhere in there probably is a good intention that this this feels scary for me. This feels unsafe for me. So I don't think you should do that. I think you should go about it this other way, which feels safe for me, right? And it's just so important to remind them that it's not their birth. And literally, and this has been proven in so many studies again and again, that the safest way and the safest place for a woman to birth is the way and the place that she feels is most safe to her. And for many people across the world, that might be in the hands of a doctor with medical people around and in a hospital. Like a lot of people feel like that is the safest place for me. So that's where I'm going to be the calmest and have the least amount of fear. Well, great, right? That option is there and widely offered. But for a lot of us, that's not what feels the safest. 
for a lot of us, being at home and being surrounded by people we love or being in an environment that we know and we already feel safe in, that feels the safest for us. That is the way we want to, to birth. So regardless of what other people think, you know, it's not going to, it's not, not going to impact your ability at all. The only thing that's going to happen if you hear enough, if you listen to enough people telling you that this is wrong, this is not the right thing, is that you might start doubting yourself. And what I feel in this pregnancy is so, so, so important is that I don't allow that. Every time someone tells me, hey, birthing at home is unsafe, even though statistically it is not. Like statistically, it is safer to birth at home if you've chosen to birth to birth at home. And every time I hear someone tell me it's not, you know, it kind of puts me off track a little bit. It's not my voice. It's not my belief. But if enough people tell you that, it's going to be harder and harder to hear your own inner voice. So the people who have a lot to say, if you can love them, you know, it's always a challenging thing to do, but recognizing their humanity instead of going straight into the trigger of, oh, shut up. This is not your life. Just leave me alone. You know, love them for their care because in there somewhere there is care, hopefully, not just judgment for the sake of judging, right? That there's, there's care and love in there somewhere. And then set that firm, loving boundary. And it could even be so, we could even go to, to a point of saying that, you know, I, I love you. I want to spend time with you. I want to share this journey, this pregnancy with you. But if you can't respect my choice, or if you can't keep your judgment to yourself, I'm going to have to take some space. And then we can reconnect after this baby is born, because I need to focus on myself. I need to take care of myself. And take care of my energy and protect myself in this time. And, you know, pregnancy doesn't last forever. <laughs> I think we can become very intuitive when we are pregnant. We are definitely in closer in touch with something a little bit more, a little bit bigger than us, right? We are kind of standing on that precipice pre-birth, like we're almost touching the other side, and not every person that fits great in our lives when we're not pregnant works in our lives when we are pregnant. So if you have people in your life and you feel like, oh, like every time I leave them, I feel a little bit drained or I feel tired or I feel frustrated or icky or something's not right. Well, maybe their presence is just not what you need for these months. And if they are important to you, you know, you can always reconnect later. Like it's okay to ask for a little bit of space. It's okay to do things differently and to act on what your intuition tells you when you're pregnant. My intuition is telling me more and more <laughs> to be quiet. <laughs> I'm not feeling any urge really to socialize, to be out and about. Like going into the city for me feels like a big, tiring thing. It always did a little bit, but way more now. And then I have people that I, I normally love spending time with that I'm just not gravitating toward. And it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, that I have some sort of drama with them or that there's a fight or an issue or a bad vibe. It's just, no, it's just I'm not drawn into their space right now. And I find that 
that naturally kind of tends to work itself out a little bit. And I think when people get used to you claiming more space and more time for yourself, it doesn't feel so personal after a while. If you've never set a boundary with someone ever, the first time you set a boundary, even if it's a very gentle, light one, it's going to feel like this big betrayal or, oh my God, do they not love me anymore? What's going on? But friends and family that are used to boundaries and not just coming from you, but I think if we are surrounding ourselves with people who are taking care of themselves, like we should all be used to having boundaries set, to hearing the word, no, this doesn't work for me right now, or hearing someone state their needs to you. It should be a very natural thing. But if you've never set a boundary with someone, they're going to probably have a harder time receiving it than when they are used to, oh, like, you know, she knows what she wants. She knows what she needs, and I can feel safe in this relationship knowing that when she says she needs space or she says no, she doesn't want to hang out right now, or she's asking for a need to be met, like for me not to speak about my past traumatic experience or for me not to voice my own personal fears around birthing at home, for example. It's just like a gentle boundary. And if they're really, you know, important people in our lives who understand us and who love us, they should understand that. And a really good time to start setting loving, firm boundaries with our people is now. I I think now. (laughs) And eventually it will be this thing where people just know, you know, they know it's not personal. They know it has nothing to do with them. It's just you stating your need, no big deal. And also, hopefully, it makes them feel safe that they can set loving, firm boundaries with you in return. So that when you venture into an area of conversation that you feel is super easygoing and it doesn't bother you at all, and all of a sudden it doesn't work for them, right? All of a sudden it doesn't sit right with them. They'll be able to set a similar boundary with you and you'll know, okay, of course, of course, right? It's not, it's not about me no problem. Like I can vent or talk about this stuff or gossip or whatever thing that they don't want to hear. Like I have other people I can take that too, right? So yeah, (laughs) I don't know if that's advice, advice enough, but trying to bring a little bit of love into that situation, which is easier to do if it's people we know. I have a hard time with that when I'm dealing with input from people I don't know, Um, especially when it's like collective stuff or or input from the media like it's very hard for me to bring love into that so I find myself just just separating right like I can choose to read those news or not I have set some boundaries with people in my life friends and family who have like very good intentions like oh my god did you see this article came out about you and they send me the article and then I just say hey Um, I know this conversation is out there. If you ever see anything like this again, please don't send it to me. I don't need to know that it exists. Like, thank you. Like, I know it's from love, but just please don't, don't send me this. And I haven't had anyone go, what? You know, get upset (laughs) with that. But that's a boundary too, right? So for me, that, that's like, I can bring love into the relationships with people that I have that I know but not so much with the media. Like that's been kind of hard. So I just choose, like I'm not digesting or taking in that information. I'm not reading those news. I'm not clicking on those links. I'm not going to those blogs. 
I am choosing to have this conversation when it feels good for me with people that I trust. That's all. And the further I go into this pregnancy, the safer I feel, which is so beautiful. The more anchored in my decision I feel, the less weird I feel. Like this is a, like this is not a radical choice to make for myself. And if I compare it, like this idea that, you know, oh, my labor starts and holy shit, like going to panic. Oh my God, I got to go to a clinic. I got to go to a hospital. I have to like seek out this medical support. Like that to me now feels radical because it's not at all what I'm feeling drawn to. You know, going to a strange place that I would only ever go if someone was sick or in pain or something's wrong with them, right? They need like help because something's not right. Doing that just because I'm having contractions and my baby's coming doesn't, it doesn't align with how I feel at all. And then having strangers in the room as I'm going through the most intimate journey of my life, like that, that does not feel safe. That does not feel for me, obviously, right? It does for a lot of people, but for me, like being in a strange place in a strange room with strange smells, strange sounds, strange lighting, you know, strange things coming my way in terms of checkups or interventions or like it does not, it's not something that inspires a feeling of, of safety. And what I know inside of myself is what I need to have the safest and most natural birth possible. It's like I need, I need privacy and I need to feel safe. And to be able to, to do that at home, you know, this place I love, surrounded by nature and with my daughter and husband and dogs and, you know, getting, getting to really remain in this beautiful nest that I've spent the past months creating, like that feels so beautiful and so aligned. So <laughs> I think also, yeah, just like my last little thing to say on this, when we feel anchored in our choice, people tend to challenge us less. So if we are just kind of leaning towards something and we're exploring it, but we don't know, you know, which I think is a little bit more how I was in my first birth. I was still, well, I don't know. Everyone's telling me I have to be at the hospital, but I really didn't want it. But I also was, I was insecure because it was my first time. And I think when people pick up on that insecurity, they tend to get more, they tend to want to debate you more and want to challenge you more. So it's really important that the choices we make, that we make them from a really grounded place and that we allow ourselves the time and the energy to arrive at those decisions. And for me, you know, being alone, being in silence, listening to my own intuition, that's been really helpful. I, I know I'm not going to get to a clearer decision debating people. Hell no. Hell no. And you don't owe anyone an explanation for why you want to live your life the way you want to live your life. You don't owe anyone an explanation or reasoning behind how you choose to go through this pregnancy or how you choose to birth. I mean, this really is the most intimate, personal thing, and it's yours. It's your journey. People tend to get confused, you know, when we get pregnant, that, oh, that's something to share with everyone, and everyone wants to touch you and 
touch your belly and they ask all sorts of intimate, bizarre questions about your sex life and your genitals and things they would never ask, you know, unless you were pregnant. All of a sudden, that's like socially accepted. Like this pregnancy like belongs to everyone. Hell no. No. <laughs> you know, like unless it feels good for you and you want that, like no one should fucking reach out and touch your belly or demand you answer questions that don't feel good to you to talk about or share with people. This is your intimate journey and you deserve to have it remain that way. So anytime you sense that kind of like fierceness come through, I would act on that. Like I do. You know, anytime I feel this like need to, no, no, I, I don't want to talk about this. Please don't, don't ask me that. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Like anytime you have that inner voice tell you, nope, this is not right, to say it, communicate it. And let that primal side of you show already now, you know, because it's the same side of you. It's the same fierceness. It's the same raw primal part of you that's going to birth this baby eventually. So protect your own space, you know, protect your own body, protect your baby, protect your spiritual space, all the space around you. No, this is your, this is yours. And no one has a right to, to take that away or challenge you just because they want to, ch- you know, no, no, people have their own reasonings, but really how you live your life is none of their business. So wishing you best of luck and for anyone listening, and this goes for all of us, you know, regardless if we're, we're pregnant or not. Setting boundaries, that loving, firm boundary, is one of the most important things that we can learn in this lifetime. It is life-changing, life-changing. And we shouldn't start doing that just because we all of a sudden we're pregnant and we have to, right? We can start now, <laughs> like start today. Chances are the people that we can imagine are going to judge us or challenge us if we make a more natural choice around pregnancy or conception or birth. Um, They're probably, you know, they're probably challenging us in other ways right now that maybe doesn't feel so great. Chances are, you know who those people are for a reason. You can start setting loving boundaries with them now. Now, now, anytime you have that feeling of, oh, this doesn't feel great. Like that's your system saying, hey, someone's walking all over me right now. And I'm letting it happen because I'm used to this dynamic in this relationship. Start now. And then the more comfortable we get in setting boundaries, the easier it becomes. And after a while, people stop trying to step on us because they know it doesn't work, right? They take their judgment and they take their disrespect elsewhere. Okay. (laughs) Obviously, I have a lot to say on this topic. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's take another question. 
Hey, Rachel. My name's Elizabeth. I am from Nashville, Tennessee. I've been following you for a little over 12 years, and I think you're amazing and super inspiring. My question was, if you could possibly do a podcast just explaining what you do for your tea ceremonies, it's something I've really been wanting to get into, and I'm just not sure where to start. So anyway, keep on changing the world. I love you so much. Bye. Oh, hi, Elizabeth. 12 years is a long time. It's like we're longtime friends. I hope to meet you someday. Tea. Tea. I love tea. I get, I can get teary eyed thinking about tea. <laughs> and as I said, tea, now my whole room just lit up with sunshine again, which just feels like such an affirmation from nature. I would love to talk to you about tea. I would love to really, really, really get into the practice and ritual of, of, of sitting with tea. So I get this question a lot and I, I, I have a hard time answering it. Like, how does one get started? Tea teachers, when it comes to ceremonial tea, it's not, they're not that easy to find. Um, it's not like a yoga teacher where you have one on every corner, every, you know, everywhere in the world. And uh, so for me, it was really instrumental finding someone who could teach me the very sacred specifics of the ritual that I practice. And there are so many ways to drink tea and to sit with tea. There are tons of ceremonies from different parts of the world. You know, aside from water, tea is the most had beverage in the whole world. In the whole world. So tea really is something that's already for all of us in all of our cultures, ancestral and ancient and cultural. And, you know, we drink tea in different ways for different reasons all over the world, but most of the world already drinks tea. And for me, you know, it really, I, I feel like tea came my way in such a sacred, spiritual way that, that I can't mimic, you know, I, I, that, like I have a hard time answering that question, like how to get started, because for me, it just, it was so serendipitous and divine. And it was like nature all of a sudden told me, okay, you're, you're ready here to deepen this relationship, this relationship with this one archetype, with this one plant spirit, like, here you go. And then everything just kind of unfolded from there. But what I will say if we put the longing out there, like we put the intention out there to, okay, I would like to deepen my relationship with tea and you sit in your meditation practice and you anchor into that longing, you ask nature for that. Something is going to come your way. And it's really beautiful and strange and wonderful how this happens. But if we have a real longing in our hearts and it's genuine and it's authentic and we ask to have that longing met, the universe will provide. And I can't tell you how that's going to happen. Like if it's going to be all of a sudden, you know, you meet a person who, 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 who sits with tea, right? Who can teach you like their way of their ritual or all of a sudden you come across a person on social media who uh, like has an online course or who's doing a workshop in your town or all of a sudden you're walking down the street and there's a little tea shop on the corner and you walk inside and it's legit and real. You know, we never know how these things come our way, but if we put our longing out there, it will be answered. 
and maybe not in the way that you would expect or, 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 or think, but, but it will be answered. So I would start there, um, taking that, that wish that might be a little bit, you know, feel a little bit abstract right now. Like, oh, this looks so interesting or I'm, I'm drawn to this, but I don't know why. Anchor into that and put your wish out there into the world. Okay, that would be my step one. And then step two, if you know that tea is calling you and you really feel that calling, is to start drinking tea. <laughs> and that might sound ridiculous, <laughs> but, but let me explain. So maybe your relationship with tea right now is similar to what my relationship with tea has been for a big portion of my life. For me, tea was always there. Like we always had tea at home. One of my earliest memories is drinking tea at my grandma's house. Every time we went to my grandma's house, um, she still lives in the same house that she lived when I was born. So every time we would come to my grandma's house, which was quite often, we would cozy up in this corner of her kitchen and she would serve us Earl Grey tea. And I would have my tea in the same little dotted teacup. It was like a blue teacup with white dots on it. Uh, with lots of sugar <laughs> and she had a little sugar bowl and we could like take as much sugar as we wanted to put into the tea but we always drank tea it was like the first thing we were greeted by when we arrived when we came home to her house was we would sit down and we would drink tea um my dad has never had coffee in his life I think he he has a story he says like he, he tried one cup of coffee when he was 25 or something and like he's never had coffee. He's always been a tea drinker for as long as, yeah, for as long as I've been alive at least. And also very much like a tea, like very drawn to tea. Um, when I was little, he used to travel to China a lot. I think he did a lot of business there. And every time he came home, he would bring these really interesting kinds of tea that he had found on his travels and really beautiful, exotic, like intricate boxes um, at his house, it, there was never like just like, you know, bags of tea, um, but everything was always in this like beautiful metal box and you never knew, really knew what was inside. You had to smell it and check it out. And he was always just very drawn to tea and would buy teaware and bring home. And, and yeah, whenever I spent time with my dad, we always, we always drank tea. And if we were ever out and about, we would always stop at the tea store. And he would, you know, and we would smell and choose and taste and try different kinds of teas and, and take them home. So for me, like tea was always there, um, but not in a way that felt even remotely sacred. Like it felt familiar. It felt in a way ancestral. Like it felt like this is something that we've always, we've always had tea in this family. Like it felt like a family thing. But it was not in any way a part of any spiritual practice. And I think a lot of us have that similar, like if we look back at our own relationship with tea throughout the ages, like tea has always been there. And I think we have a lot of plant kin. We have a lot of plant family, plant spirits that have been with us on our path in different ways, but maybe we are not awake to that relationship yet. I have a lot of plant spirits like that, that I feel like have been protectors of mine throughout my life and since childhood. And maybe you can remember being a child, like having a favorite tree. Can you remember that? If you journey back into your memories and into your childhood and your connection with nature, then 
first of all, how effortless our connection with nature was. Running barefoot through the grass and then just throwing ourselves down on the ground to lie flat on our backs and look at the clouds. I mean, how many times have we done that? So many times, I think, all of us. If we had trees in our backyard or if we lived close to a wooded area or a forest or, you know, like, did you have a favorite tree growing up? I think a lot of us have at least some memory of a tree that was special to us. And as kids, we're just drawn to nature because nature is home. We know how to interact with nature. Nature is a place to go and play and be. Whereas I can recognize as a mother, every time my daughter wants to climb a tree, there's a part of me like, "Uh oh, you know, be careful, be careful. You know, like terrified she's going to fall and break her arm. (laughs) But it's so natural to her. She sees a tree, she wants to climb it. And it takes always for me like an extra breath and then some trust. And then I always let her climb. Right. So I had a couple of those trees when I was growing up. I had an apple tree, also one in my grandma's backyard. Um, And then in our countryside, we had a country home or like a country cabin on the east coast of Sweden. There was this little wooded area on this hill, like right above our house, where there were some spruce trees that where we always went to play. Like we had, we made like a little makeshift tree house there, me and my cousins. And I just remember there being this one tree where the branches went almost all the way down to the floor, but there was space beneath. So it was almost like a cave, you know, and we would go under the spruce and just and hide or, you know, like bring sticks and like stones and gather things and play and play hide and seek. I mean, it was so much, so much of our childhood is intertwined with, with nature. And looking back, we all have had particular plant spirits protecting us, present with us, kind of there on our path, holding our hand in different ways. And it takes a different way of thinking of and relating with nature to open up to this idea. Especially if you've been taught your whole life that nature is some dead thing, that that every tree or every plant you see is some object for you to, or, or it's just some material thing for you to, to eat or digest. Or maybe we have an idea that, yeah, like herbs and certain things can be healing for physical ailments. Like we might know that, well, if I can't sleep, maybe some chamomile tea can help calm me. Like we have some things, ideas we have about how nature is like helpful to us, but it's a whole other step, whole other way of looking at life when we start to treat plants as individuals, when we start to treat them as beings, as energies, as spirits, really, um, where everything connects, but each plant spirit has its own personality, its own archetype, its own vibration, you know. And um, for me, the moment I realized that tea has been in my life, this mother, (laughs) that was one of my first big epiphanies I had with tea in a spiritual way was that tea has been this mothering presence for me my entire life. And particularly present for me in the times of my life where I was missing a mother, where I was alone, where I was feeling unsafe, when I was feeling abandoned, like tea was there. So for me, when I, when I started 
sitting with tea in a more present way. And you can do that now. So when I say start drinking tea, like you're probably already drinking tea. But first of all, how are you drinking tea? (laughs) How are you interacting with the very delicate qualities and properties of the plant medicine that is tea? Not are you grabbing like a tea bag of Earl Grey or green tea and plopping it in a mug and then pouring some hot water from your from your electric kettle on top and then just drinking that without thinking. Like that's drinking tea. But are you drinking tea? (laughs) Can you take that existing relationship and deepen it? And you don't need any fancy teaware to do that. You don't need any uh, hard to find tea teacher. You don't need to sit in some complicated ritual or ceremony to begin deepening and exploring your relationship with plant medicine. It's available to you right now. Like you can turn this podcast off right now and go begin that journey. So if we're feeling drawn to tea, I would start there, you know, put the longing out there in a really intentional way and trust that a teacher or a method or a ritual or a way is going to, is going to come and then begin now. So start treating tea, Camellia sinensis. So we're not talking herbal infusions. We're not talking any other plant or herb. We're talking tea that comes from the tea tree. So it's not rooibos. It's not um, mint or peppermint. You know, it's, it's real tea. Uh, so it's very important that we honor <laughs> the spirit of tea and that we don't confuse tea with other plant spirits. So start start sitting with tea in a in a ritual way, meaning that we start connecting tea with our spiritual practices, start interacting with tea, looking at the tea and smelling the tea and, and you know tasting like chewing a tea leaf and as you're preparing and then eventually consuming your tea that you do that with your utmost sacred presence. And that it happens in sacred spaces too. So where and how you source your tea is really important. When we think of tea and how tea is grown across the world, we often think of tea as like a little bush. Like if you Google tea plantation or something like that, you're going to see tea plants as like tiny little bushes. And that's the conventional like large scale industrial farming of tea there's there are really horrible practices involved in the industrial farming of tea most tea they, they use huge amounts of pesticides they're not taking care of the earth like we're not looking for that kind of tea although it's the same plant at its heart it's the same essence but it's gonna hold a very different energy and a very different quality if you source live tea from old growth trees so tea actually comes from a tree if you let those bushes be (laughs) they can live on for thousands of years and they grow into these big majestic beautiful tea trees and you know that are generally cared for by people for generations and really revered and where the buds and leaves are harvested in a very 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 special way So sourcing tea in that way, where you get a different depth, a different quality of the wisdom of the plant, you're going to have a different, you're going to enter a different kind of conversation, right? So it's, 
<laughs> it's hard to compare like the tea you would get in a tea bag at a coffee shop, right? With the tea that we drink ceremonially in ritual. Uh, there's lots of places to find ceremonial grade tea. I would source from a proper tea shop. And I found like here in Sweden, there's a tea store on every corner. Like There's so many tea stores. People drink so much tea. But whenever I go into just any one of those places, they very rarely know what I'm talking about <laughs> if I'm looking for, for the, the kind of tea that I'm looking for. So any store that that sells tea and cakes, which I have yet to find in Sweden. I just found like some places online, but one single place. There's a place by Odenplan. Uh, if you live in Sweden, it's right ac across Cafe Pascal. It's the only place I've found so far where they really sell ceremonial grade, organic, old growth tea. And they come in tea cakes. So normally we get our tea in these big round cakes that are wrapped in, in paper. And then you break the cakes apart and that's how you get the tea leaves. But online, so there's a beautiful place called Global Tea Hut. Um, it's in Taiwan. It's a tea house and tea sanctuary in Taiwan. I get my tea from there. My first tea teacher, her teacher is a man called Wu Dei, who's, who started that center, who's, who's, who's over there. And they do a lot of really beautiful service work. And it's just a really beautiful organization to support. So I get most of my tea from the Global Tea Hut. Uh, you can go there and check out their tea if you want. But I love even more because there's such an ability to create community around tea is to find tea or find someone excited about tea in your local area. So you can go, if there's, if there's a possibility for you to go to a place to drink tea with other people. Um, to talk about tea with other people, to learn about tea with other people, then I so suggest that. So it's not just something that happens online and then it comes home to you and it's, and it's just, you're kind of alone in that journey there. So see if you can source tea, <laughs> live tea, living tea um, from old growth trees. And then of course, what, which kind of tea you choose so it's all the same plant and then depending on how it's processed it becomes either green tea or poor tea I drink a lot of shang and shou poor there's also black tea of course which I think is the most common tea that we know here in the west in the west we um, name the tea from what the tea looks like in the bag like black tea the tea leaves they just look black But in the East, they name tea from what tea looks like when it's brewed. So black tea is actually red tea. What we know as black tea is in reality red tea, not rooibos, <laughs> which is what they call. Like here in Sweden, if you ask for red tea, you get rooibos, but actually red tea is what we know as black tea. Um, and then after that, of course, tea is, it's processed in different ways. Some tea is fermented. It can be aged for decades I mean for so long I often drink tea that's older than me so the younger a tea the lighter and more young the energetic quality and the conversation with tea is going to be sitting with an old growth tea that's been stored and that's been that's been I don't want to use the word processed but yeah that's been 
processed and stored for a long, long, long time, left alone, really, uh, since before I was born. It's a very different conversation, right? It's a different kind of quality and energy that you receive from the tea. And then there's so many ways to be in ceremony. I have a really specific way that I um, that I do it, and I don't teach it because I'm not a tea teacher. But you can really genuinely start on your own just as long as it's tea, right? All you need is tea. You're going to need tea and you're going to need water. <laughs> Without water, we have no tea, right? So from finding ways to take every step of how you normally would brew yourself a mug of tea and slowing that down, making that intentional, infusing presence into it, And I bet you, you can start your own ritual, your own way of being with tea. Traditionally, we drink from a bowl, not from a mug or a cup. Um, So if you want, you can start with a bowl. Um, The first ritual I learned is called leaves in a bowl. And it's literally, you take your tea leaves, (laughs) you drop them into the bowl, and you pour hot water on top, and you get to see the leaves kind of twirling and swirling inside of the bowl. Um, and it's it's so easy, right? It's so easy. And I think when we see tea, we see it on social media or we see a ceremony, like it looks so graceful and beautiful. And it also looks complicated with all the things and the teaware and the steps. And we don't need to go into that comp- complexity of a ritual right away. It's kind of like we start a yoga practice and we look at someone on the mat and they have all the stuff, right? They have mala beads and they have incense and they have special clothing that they're wearing and they look so good in them. Maybe they're wearing like an anklet and a toe ring and, you know, there's like a, a lot of stuff all of a sudden that comes with that practice. And I think as beginners, all this stuff looks very shiny, right? It looks very attractive. It's very fascinating, And before we even anchor deeply enough into the ritual practice of yoga, where we learn enough about the ancient science of yoga, we're already there getting our Lululemon pants and getting our super expensive Manduka mat and, you know, figuring out the mala beads we want to bring. We're doing all the stuff when really what we should be doing and what's most purposeful for us to do is to practice yoga right, is to not get distracted by the shiny stuff. And the shiny stuff is like usually what we see on Instagram and stuff like that. But to go right to the heart of, okay, there's something about this ritual that's really calling me. Let's go there. Don't go to the, to the stuff. And I think with tea, it's the same, the same way. Like if you're excited about the idea of ritual with tea and you want to be in tea ceremony, like go to tea, right? Don't go to the fancy teaware and the really cool looking kettles with different kinds of like carbon and fire and like ways to heat your water and there's incense that comes along with ceremonial tea and so many cool teapots you can find I mean there's so many things right but really what we're interested in and what's what eventually might lead to that whole thing where you all of a sudden have a more complex ritual is tea So stay curious about your relationship with tea. And as you're drinking tea and as you're with tea, listen, like listen. And and we stop looking at tea as something delicious that we drink. And we start honoring tea for the wisdom and plant medicine that she is. 
all of a sudden we're going to have a very, very, very different experience. So when you're there and you're beginning to relate that you really, really, really listen. When I started drinking tea in a ceremonial way, and in the beginning for like a year, it was just, I had leaves in a bowl, <laughs> like just put leaves in a bowl and hot water on top. <laughs> a couple more steps to that ritual, but it was very, very simple. And I did the same thing every day for a year um, or almost a year. And in the beginning, I, I, I wasn't really understanding. Like I just felt so called to be with tea in that sacred way. And I knew it's not the same. I don't want to sit with my family drinking this tea. Like that would feel disrespectful somehow. It would feel like I'm missing, like I'm missing it somehow. Um, but I just felt drawn like every day. I just want to come back to tea every day. It doesn't matter what time of day, how it happens. Like I'm just here every day. And every day I would look into this bowl and I would look at the leaves and I would cry. And I would cry just big, fat, hot tears into my bowl. <laughs> and the bowl would catch my tears and then I would drink. And, and I would kind of cycle through that again and again and again. And one of my earliest big messages or big conversations that I had with T, where I really felt like it was more than a feeling. Because in the beginning, the conversation felt more like feeling. You know, it felt more like little realizations or a taste or a smell or a color or a, a, a you know a sense of calm inside or it was it was very hard to explain like my friends would ask like what <laughs> you're drinking tea as you, every day in this weird way like wh why I couldn't really say why in the beginning for a long time I didn't talk about tea I didn't share tea I didn't I think the first year of tea, it was just me and tea. And Dennis, like knowing that every day I drank tea and Leia knowing already, she was like three years old, that, that this bowl was the most precious thing I owned, you know. And, uh, and one of the first very clear conversations where I received a download, I received a message from tea that I could explain, that I could relay, that I could write down very clearly was I was sitting on my balcony or on my little patio outside my, my sacred space that I had in Aruba in our old house. And this is before we found the mold, before everything. This was mid-pandemic. Yeah, it must have been early 20, no, 2019 probably. Yeah, tea came my way 2019. So this might have been 2020. Yeah, pandemic times. And uh, I'm sitting on the patio, the sun is rising, I used to rise very, very early and drink tea at sunrise. And I was in the middle of a two year, I think maybe more two year break from my mom. I spoke about that quite a bit at the time on the pod, but just setting a really firm boundary and realizing I had to separate from her entirely and kind of cut her out of my life. That was the only way for me to to survive really it was a very very challenging relationship and I was sitting there drinking tea and I just had this like it was like a knife in my gut kind of feeling like I miss my mom and it was so complicated for me to have that realization then because I a part of me hated her deeply resented her was upset was angry couldn't stand her so many dramatic, crazy things had happened. And I had this big, 
like ball of rage toward her where I just, I thought I would never talk to her again in my life. And then the big realization that I miss her. I miss my mom. And I was sitting there drinking my, holding my bowl to my heart, you know, feeling so small, feeling like a child, feeling like a little baby. Like I just want my mom. I just want my mom. And I just kind of had that like a mantra in the back of my head. Like I miss my mom. I just want my mom. And all of a sudden, T spoke. It was really a voice. And it was, it came from the tea, like it came from the bowl, but it was all enveloping, all encompassing. It was in front of me, behind me, above me, below me, inside of me. This big, big voice said, but I'm right here. But I'm right here. But I'm right here. And it was like, it knocked the breath out of me but I'm right here. And then I, I realized just so deeply that what I'd been doing that whole time, that whole year, as I was separating from my mother in the flesh, right? I had been mothering myself and I'd been mothering myself together with nature, together with the most nourishing, nurturing, feminine, mothering plant medicine there is. I have never found anything that compares in terms of that feeling of nurturing, of nourishment that I get from tea and that voice, but I'm right here. It's like, like my, it was this awakening to the fact that, that I, my mother is nature. My mother is my earth mother. Mother earth is mother earth for a reason. I come from her. We all come from her. And at the deepest, deepest, deepest level and layer of my being, like we, each of us, we still have our umbilical cords tied to the earth. And I was sitting there in my like human self, feeling insecure and resentful and angry and worried. And it's like, and there's my mother, my mother, I'm right here, right here, every moment of the day. And I realized like she's never left me. I was never alone, never alone. And yeah, she hasn't left my side since. And there was something about that relationship. It actually took some burden off of my relationship with my mom. That feeling that like I have one single human being and she, she's supposed to be in charge of me in these ways and protect me and love me and unconditionally be there. And now she's failed me in all these ways and I'm so resentful for that and I feel so abandoned and angry about that and then realizing that I'm so held, never abandoned, so supported, always mothered, like my whole life, maybe not by the specific human being over here in the way that I expected it, but I was never alone. Like nature was there for me all along, every step of the way. And since that moment, you know, I haven't, like tea hasn't left my side. That was my big awakening back to nature. It's, you know, put me on the path to, to, to nature, to growing my own food, to gardening, to moving to Sweden, to like returning to my ancestral lands, eventually leading to this moment right here where I'm sitting on our own farm looking out at the light, filling this beautiful room, trees all around me, like tea brought me here. Tea awakened this inside of me. Tea led me to this place. 
So as you can tell, and I'm sitting here half crying, half sniffling, because this to me is such a precious memory and story to share. But um, as you can tell, this is a very, very um, personal spiritual journey of mine. And when someone asks me, hey, I wanna, I'm really intrigued by yoga. I want to start a yoga practice. I can say, hey, find a great studio in your local area. Don't even buy a mat, rent one, you know, try a couple different teachers and styles. And when you find something that resonates, just return to it. Tea is different. I, I can't give you that one, two, three step path to beginning a practice other than to say, put your longing out there and drink tea <laughs> and it will change your life. And maybe tea is not the plant spirit that you're feeling particularly drawn to. Perhaps you're having similar kinds of feelings toward another plant. And I cycle through this all the time. Like I get kind of stuck on like one plant. Like, oh, I'm so into this right now. I don't know why. It's like I want to learn about it and read about it and listen to podcasts about it and forage it and taste it and drink it and and learn about it and, and, and process it and like be with it. Like there's something about that plant spirit that's calling me at that moment. And it's deeper than just medicinal in a physical sense. It's deeper than just learning about something from that mental place and educating ourselves about a plant. Like it's magical. Like there's magic and something unseen there. And when we start treating nature as alive and as relational and as a place that's a part of us, you know, it, it becomes a very different way of relating to every plant that comes your way. And all of a sudden, it's like we're, we're home, right? We're, it's, it's very hard to exploit and take advantage of nature when we know we are nature. And I think tea can be such a beautiful way back to that remembering. So yeah, put your longing out into the world and drink tea. <laughs> that's it I uh, can't believe we are over an hour into this podcast and I have only answered two questions <laughs> but I do feel like these two questions were two very very important ones and they deserve this time and this space so thank you we return to Ask Rachel once a month so I promise you know just three podcasts from now there'll be another one I promise um, but thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I love you. And whatever calling you're feeling inside of yourself right now to either set a loving boundary or connect with nature or both, go do it. From the heart, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.